Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. So I'm prepping the show, going about my day, having a jolly old time putting together a show. And just seconds before I hit record, we get late breaking news. Mark Emmert, the president of the NCA, is out. And so I'll be honest, I don't have a huge, you know, 20-minute monologue planned on this. I just want to give you some initial reaction. I think my plan will be to touch base with some smarter people than me over the next couple days, tell you what this means. But I think this is a great day, as no one has gone harder in the paint against Mark Emmert than I have Mark Emmert out as, school, uh, as president of the NCAA. From there, we'll get into the show that I had planned. One, I don't talk a ton of NBA on this show. But something happened this week that I think is good for the NBA. I've been critical of the NBA. There are things that frustrate me about the NBA. Something happened this week that makes me happy, and I think it'll make you guys and girls happy too. On top of that, we'll speak of the NBA. Jay Wright was asked about the NBA. Remember Jay Wright, former Villanova coach? Don't know if you remember him. He was asked about the NBA on Tuesday. Did not really deny it. We're going to talk about that. And then from there, we'll wrap with some Transfer Portal stuff. I picked the five winners of the Transfer Portal so far. I think we're about halfway through the Transfer Portal cycle. Now feels like a good time to reevaluate who's doing well, who's not doing well, all that good stuff. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is basically, as I just told you, it's a Tuesday. Here in Southern California, as I pucker my lips, you probably just heard that. It was a really hot day. A really hot day here in Southern California. You don't really care that much, though. And I'm doing the show, and I'm prepping, and I'm getting ready, and I'm thinking about all the different things that I'm going to talk about on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And then, right before I hit record, as I just told you 30 seconds ago, we find out that Mark Emmert, president of the NCAA, is stepping down effective June 2023. To which I say, glory, glory, hallelujah. 
not much of a singer. How about Ding Dong, The Witch is Gone? I'm not going to say The Witch is Dead. I don't want anybody dead. Just I'm happy that Mark Emmert is gone because if you have listened to this podcast at all, you know about my frustrations with Mark Emmert. And so what I just want to do now is I want to spend about two, three, four minutes just reacting to it. And then what I want to do is, as I said a minute ago, I plan on kind of talking to some people this week and seeing if I can come up with some smarter commentary because this really is happening in real time and I really haven't had much time to think about it. But Mark Emmert officially out as the president of the NCAA. Let me start by saying this. It's time. It's just time. And, and it's funny, right? Because I saw on social media a lot of people reacting by saying, the NCAA, you know, the president doesn't have that much power. The president works for the schools and the universities and the school presidents. In the same way that, frankly, an NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball commissioner works for the owners. I get all that. I get that there are certain things that Mark Emmerich could not do as the president of the NCAA. But what I would also say is it was time for something different because while there are a lot of things he couldn't do, he literally did nothing. And I've talked about this a lot over the last couple of weeks, but I will tell you this. There's been times where I've defended the NCAA. There's been times where I think people are too harsh on the NCAA. People are trying to compare it to some awful things through, you know, that, that simply aren't accurate. But as I told you many times, really over the last month, the press conference that Mark Emmerich held at the Final Four was one of the most jarring things that I've ever seen, okay? So, and jarring is, you know, metaphorical. I mean, many of you are police, firefighters, military. Like, you see real jarring things. So I'm not saying that my life is tougher than yours. But the point I'm trying to make, as I watched Mark Emmert on the podium at the Final Four, I was blown away by how incompetent this guy is and how incapable he was of answering the simplest questions about college sports. The simplest questions that you and me and people who love this stuff all care about, okay? You know how like when a president is running for president, they'll do like a local town hall where, you know, Joe Schmo who works down at the paper mill or whatever is like, what are you going to do about taxes? And what are you going to do about uh, crime? And like the, the presidential candidate has answers to those questions. So this was like Mark Emmerich's chance to like, Okay, I, this is my big picture, 30,000-foot State of the Union press conference. And he literally had an answer for nothing. I've talked about it on the show. But somebody asked him about NIL. Well, I can't really answer that because it's a state-by-state -state thing, and you know we can't really answer that. We can't really do much. It's a state decision. I have nothing to do with it. Then somebody asked him about the transfer portal. Well, you know, it's what the school presidents wanted, and so it's up to them to kind of figure out what the jurisdictions, what the guidelines are, because I had nothing to do with it. And then he was asked about transgender athletes. Well, you know, I mean, it's, you know, we follow the Olympic model. It's not our really play. And I've said it like 12 times in the last month. But it reminded me of the John Calipari saying, you know how John Calipari, he tells his players, you can't, I don't mind if you, you you're a lot, I don't expect, this is the quote. I'm tripping over my own words here. John Calipari's quote is, I don't expect you to make every shot. But if you want to play, you can't miss every shot either. And that was the only thing that came to my mind when I saw Mark Emmert on this podium. You don't have to have an answer to every question, but you gotta have an answer to something two plus million dollars a year and he never makes public appearances so to fly to New Orleans to be put in front of the media and to literally have answers for nothing 
That's unacceptable. And so this idea that the school, the, the NCAA president can't do anything, he can't be worse than Mark Emmert. And so, again, I really haven't had time to really process everything that has happened. I haven't had time to think about everything, what it means, what can be fixed, all that good stuff. But what I would say is whoever is next, one, it's a very tough job. I'm not saying it's an easy job. We're at this point where the Supreme Court shot down NIL restriction, where Alston said this about that, and like you go on and on. It's not an easy job. But somebody's got to be better. And more importantly, we just need some kind of leadership. It's really funny, right? Because Jeff Goodman put out a tweet um, you know, on Tuesday afternoon about NIL. And a, a head coach told him the same thing that coaches have been telling me. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know if there are rules. I don't know what's allowed, and I don't know what's not. And that's where we are with pretty much everything with the NCAA right now. We went from 100 years of having this crazy huge rule book where, again, to use a John Calipari quote, I'm allowed to give kids bagels, but I'm not allowed to give them peanut butter. You had these crazy rules to now it's like there are no rules. So we have people tampering with players. We have NIL deals that aren't NIL. It's pay for play. It's a recruiting inducement. I'm going to talk later about the Miami booster that publicly said he's giving $400,000 in salary to a transfer next year, and he's he called it NIL. It's not NIL. It's pay for play. And so where the frustration is and why it is time for change is because of the fact that there are literally no answers to nothing. We just need leaderships. We need, we, we need leadership. We need a face, and we need accountability. I'm not saying that I have all the answers. I'm not saying that whoever takes the job is going to have all the answers. But you need a leader. You need a face. You need somebody that is not afraid to put his face out there and answer the tough questions. That's leadership at every level, whether it's political, president, governor, mayor, whatever. You know, school board rep. I don't care. Little league president. I don't care. The leader has to step up and be an answer. I run Aaron Torres Media. I got about six, seven people working for me. We got a couple interns too. I'm very blessed to do what I do. Imagine if I just disappeared for years at a time. Literally don't answer anything for a year. Don't make a public comment for a year. You could understand where people working for me would be like, I don't really know. Like, like, I don't really know what's expected of me. And so I just bring it up to say, I don't care who's next. It cannot be worse. Now, in terms of what I would change if I was president, again, I think I'll probably do a segment on this on Friday when I have some time to think about it. You know, three things really come to mind in terms of what I would do if I was in charge. I think, first of all, listen, one-time transfer rule is great, and I've talked about a lot of this before. One-time transfer rule is great. I have no fundamental objection to it. It, A couple things. One, we need transfer windows. The transfer portal should not be like Denny's. It should not be open 24-7, 365, okay? And I've said this many times. I think we need a window shortly after the college football season, which usually coincides with the end of the first semester. I would give it a week after those conference championship games, a cooling off period where coaches cannot interact with players, players cannot interact with coaches. Then you get a month. Have a dead period on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, so coaches can spend time with their family on Christmas. And you have a month. If you want to be in the portal, you got to get in by this date, this date, this date. And then once once that window passes, you can't get in again until the springtime, which I would call the spring window, which I would say either April 1st to May 1st, or realistically, I would say May 1st to June 1st. 
That way kids can finish up the semester. They don't have to worry about visits. Like right now we have kids that are trying to finish up a semester at one school while visiting other schools in the portal. It doesn't make sense. Just push it back till May 1st, then June 1st, and then by, the t- by that time you got to be in the portal so everybody knows who's in and who's out. What you can't have, though, is players able to enter the portal at any time. Now, to be clear, you have to enter by May to be eligible for next year, but anyone can enter at any time. And I think there are so many decisions that get made that are in jest because of frustration. We saw it in football a lot this year. You had guys like week four just not playing and entering the portal. And I'm not saying that if you go to a college for four years and you're not playing, you shouldn't be allowed to leave. I don't think you should be allowed to leave in the middle of the season, though, because here's what ends up happening. I don't know. Injuries happen. Guys underperform. Stuff happens. I remember, what was it, three years ago. JT Daniels was, at the time, the quarterback at USC. Since gone to Georgia, now he's at West Virginia. But I remember JT Daniels. Um, JT Daniels is the starting quarterback, and then they have this freshman, Keaton Slovis, and they have two guys that are backups to JT Daniels that once they lost the job in the fall, immediately entered the portal and immediately left school. And then what happened? And I'm not trying to be crass because this is kind of a sad story. JT Daniels gets hurt week one. And there were two different guys that if they had just stayed would have won that starting quarterback job. And so to me, I just think once you commit for the season, you're there for the season. And you can't transfer now. You can quit the team. But the problem with the situation right now is if you quit the team, you're almost incentivized to leave in the middle of the season because it allows you to then enter the portal, other schools to contact you, and you take visits. So as an example, I'll just keep throwing out examples. There was a running back at Wisconsin. His name is Jalen Berger, okay? Quits the team about four weeks in, enters the transfer portal. He was committed to Michigan State by like December 5th. Because what did he do? He entered the portal in the middle of the season, took a visit to Michigan State in the middle of the season, and was able to commit right away. And so guys are almost incentivized because then you can get on a visit, then you can go to campus, and then after that, you have to move the process up because if you don't, your spot's going to be gone. So what I would just say is, again, one month, that's all. December 15th to January 15th. But you can't quit during the season. Or you can quit, but you can't enter the portal. That way it makes it more likely that guys stay with the team and it makes it, it just takes out the emotional aspect of it. You got to stay through the season. If you decide to leave, it's going to be well thought out, well planned. Number two, I do think the one-time transfer has to mean a one-time transfer. These are the three things that I would change. One-time transfer has to mean one-time transfer because I think this is going to be a very interesting summer, okay? Because we had a lot of kids who entered the portal last offseason transferred that are now back in the portal. And I'm not anti-transfer. But I also don't think it's fair to these coaches. I know nobody feels bad for John Calipari or John Shire or Kenny Payne that's making six, seven, eight million dollars a year. Those John Shire and Kenny Payne are, but you get the point, two, three, four million dollars a year. But what about the guys at Moorhead State or Central Connecticut or Sacred Heart that are making I don't know, 150000 a year. 150000 is a great living. It's not going to set up your family and your grandchildren for the rest of their lives. And so this idea that you can start your career one place, go somewhere else, ball out, and then leave, I, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. And it, what it ends up happening is everybody is a free agent every year. 
and I've said it for years, like, like, I'm not saying that players shouldn't be allowed to leave, but even the NBA, even the NFL has contracts, and I know they're not contracted athletes, but the point I'm trying to make, you know, we call the transfer portal college free agency. It's not free agency because even in the NBA and NFL, no, every player isn't a free agent every year. LeBron James can't just decide to leave the Lakers every year. It's called a contract. Kevin Durant can't decide to leave the Nets every year. It's called a contract. And so we need that in college sports. If it doesn't work out at the first place, we get it. All of us had those moments when we were young. I transferred one time. But if I started to transfer two, three, four times, my mom would have smacked me upside the head and said, what are you doing? Stay in one place, finish out what you started. And so to me, the one-time transfer has to mean one-time transfer. You can't have every coach in America having to re-recruit his roster every single offseason. So that would be number two. Number three, got to figure out NIL. And maybe at some point we'll get my buddy Dan Lust, the lawyer, on. Because Dan Lust is a lot smarter than me on all this stuff. Legally, what can and cannot be done. But there's got to be a way where it can't just be pay for play. It can't just be everybody going to the highest bidder at all times. Because, like, I don't think, you know, Miami, again, we, we'll talk about it in a minute. They had a booster that's paying $400,000 a year for players out of the portal. And there's nothing wrong with guys getting paid. But you can't just... I don't know. You can't just be doing pay-for-play out of nowhere. And this was the frustration from other fans. They're like, I thought it wasn't pay-for-play. This is obviously pay-for-play. So to me, and I talked about this probably six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, I just say, give it a six-month moratorium. Give it a six-month window where from the first moment you arrive on campus until six months in, you can't sign an NIL deal. Still get paid under the table. That's going to happen. Can get paid after six months when you've actually done something. And then maybe a booster would say, hey, look, give it six months. Come back to me. You know, six months and a day from today, I'll give you that whatever amount of money. But you just can't be having the highest bidder. You can't be having, I don't know, boosters, what, what's going on with the Tennessee quarterback, a boosters basically paying $8 million over a four-year period. So those are my three ideas. I'm going to call some people that are smarter than me. But those are the three things that immediately stand out to me. One, we have to have transfer portal windows. Two, the one-time transfer has to mean one time. Uh, by the way, there's exceptions. If your coach gets fired, I, I've always said, if your coach gets fired, you should be allowed to leave without having to sit out. Um, and we got to figure out something with NIL. So those are my quick thoughts. Again, I'll think about it a little bit over the course of the next few days. I will get back to you. But Mark Emmert is out, and it's a great thing. And don't tell me, oh, you know, um, the job of the school, the, the NCA president, he can't really do too much can do more than Mark Emmert. He can do more than Mark Emmert. So what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. I want to talk a little bit of NBA playoffs. I don't talk a ton of NBA for obvious reasons. I just don't think it's something that you guys and girls are as into as the other stuff that I talk about. But I have a thought. I think a lot of the reason that you are frustrated with the NBA just like I am was addressed this week. We are going to continue that conversation. That's next. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. I uh, do want to switch gears. By the way, that Mark Emmert segment went long like they always do. But do want to switch gears, and I do want to talk about a topic that, frankly, I just don't talk about very much on this show, uh, and a sport that I don't talk about very much on this show, and that is the NBA. I guess it's a league more than a sport. I talk basketball. But if you listen to this show, you know the deal. We talk a lot of college football, talk a lot of college basketball, little NFL, don't really talk the NBA. 
And there's a few different reasons why I don't talk it, but in general, what I have found is that when I talk NBA, you guys and girls mostly tune out. And that's not good or bad, it's just what it is. The numbers go down when I talk NBA. So the question becomes, why do the numbers go down? And I have some thoughts, and I have some thoughts on why you guys and girls either don't watch or are frustrated with the sport. And the same reasons that I'm frustrated with the sport. And so why I'm talking NBA today is because something happened this week that I think is good for the NBA. It looks bad on paper, but I think it's good for the NBA, and I do think it's something that may help people like us, people like you, people like me. Not everybody listening to this show hates the NBA, to be clear, but I think there's a lot of frustration with certain things about the NBA. I know that I'm frustrated about certain things in the NBA. But this week, as you know, the Brooklyn Nets got swept out of the NBA playoffs. This on the heels of the Los Angeles Lakers not even making the playoffs. And so what I want to talk about is this right now and why I think it's good for the NBA. But I think the era of the NBA in which one or two superstars just kind of go wherever they want and they really feel like, I don't need to worry about the coach, I don't need to worry about my teammates, I don't need to worry about draft picks, I don't need to worry about the GM, we're going to figure it out because I am so-and-so. I am LeBron. I am Kevin Durant. I believe that era is coming to an end. I believe we're entering a different era in the NBA, and I think that's good for the sport overall. Now, to be clear, I don't dislike the NBA. I actually really enjoy the NBA, especially being a college guy that obviously follows these guys from the time sometimes they're 15, 16 years old. I'd also say this is not like a shut up and dribble and these guys are like, oh, no. But at the same time, for a very long time, there was like a certain way that things were done in the NBA. GM picked the players, coach coached players, players played. And again, this isn't shut up and dribble. It's not to say that stars shouldn't have some say in who plays and how, you know, like it's not to say that at all. But at the same time, we have reached this era over probably the last seven, eight years where these star players just come in and they feel like they need to dictate every single thing. LeBron James comes in, immediately trades every single player on his roster. Brandon Ingram, balling out in the NBA playoffs right now for the New Orleans Pelicans, was on the Lakers, LeBron got rid of him. Julius Randle, playing really well, was on the Lakers, obviously left once LeBron got there. Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, on and on and on and on and on. Same thing with the Nets, et cetera, et cetera. Nets trade for James Harden last year, give up a million picks. Then they immediately have to trade James Harden a year later for Ben Simmons. And so I think that to me, these, this idea that NBA superstars get to dictate everything, I think that to me is part of why many of you have tuned out the NBA through the years. Again, I'm not saying all of you. I know there are some of you that live and die by the NBA and love it maybe more than you love anything else. But at the same time, I do think that NBA players have increasingly become, I, 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 let, me, let me backtrack, I believe that the reason that the NBA is struggling, and the NBA is struggling, and, you know, NBA fans will tell you, oh, we're fine. The NBA is the only sport in America, only mainstream sport in America, where the ratings are going down. The NFL, the ratings are through the roof. College football, the ratings are through the roof. The Rose Bowl, which is a meaningless bowl game. You guys tell me it's meaningless. That outrates virtually every game all season. There might be one or two NBA Finals games that gets more viewers than the Rose Bowl. College basketball, the NCAA tournament ratings were through the roof. Daytona 500 ratings were up. Golf has been successful over the last year or two in terms of the TV ratings. The only sport where it's going down is the NBA. And so I just bring it up to say 
that there's clearly something happening. And what I believe is happening is that I do believe that the NBA increasingly has become less relatable to the American public, the American consumer, the average person. I've talked about it on my radio show. I've probably talked about it a little bit on this show. But the bottom line is, I get why you guys are frustrated with NBA players, because I'm frustrated with NBA players. You want a crazy stat on NBA players on the NBA right now? In terms of guys, let's just let's just use the, the load management stuff. Guys sitting out games, right? I had a buddy look this up. This is a crazy stat. Of the top 29 players that led the NBA in scoring this year. So of the top 29 scorers in the league this year. A grand total of five of them played 70 plus games. And none of them played 80 plus games. That is staggering. Just think about that. 82 regular season games. Five of the top 29 scores, six of the top 30 scores, played 70 plus games. Only two played 75 games. Three technically, excuse me. Three technically. No, two. I'm right. Of the top 30 scores in the NBA, Jason Tatum played 76 games. Trey Young played 76 games. DeMar DeRozan played 76 games. So three of the top 30 scores played 75 plus games. Only six played 70. And to me, that's a metaphor. And I'm all over the place, and I'm going to get back to KD and LeBron in a minute. But to me, this is what I'm talking about when I say that the average NBA player is not relatable. The average American person cannot relate to an athlete that doesn't show up to work or shows up to work and just doesn't want to work and doesn't have to go into work that day. One thing about this show, one, one thing about why I never miss episodes, I'm one of the lucky ones. I get to do what I love every single day. And I know a lot of you are not so lucky. I know a lot of you work way harder jobs than I do. And the least I can do is show up on this show every single day prepared and to do my best to entertain you. Some days I do better than others. Some days there's more interesting stuff to talk about. Some days I am better as a host than others. But I try to show up every day ready to go, ready to to give you the most entertaining show that I possibly can. And that's where I think the NBA is frustrating. And that's where I think the modern player is not relatable. The average player shows up when they want to show up, not the average player, the great player, show up when they want to show up, take off days when they want to take off, and then, oh, by the way, the second that things go wrong, over the last decade or so, oh, they just bounce out of town. And to me, that is the least relatable thing that any athlete can ever do. We all have jobs we don't like. We all have days that are tough. I cannot relate to a person that makes $30 million a year and just on a random Tuesday decides, you know, I'm just not, I'm not, just not going to show up today. Um. Thursday, I'm not going to show up today. Now, we all get sick days, but we don't, just get, we don't just get to pick and choose. And so to me, that is why I believe the NBA has struggled because they are not relatable to the average man. That's why I think whether the NBA will publicly admit it or not, I think in their heart of hearts, I think they're probably very happy that the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers are out of these playoffs. Now, it's bad for ratings. It's bad in the moment. But I also believe in the bigger picture that it's good for the NBA and that they're probably secretly on the down low, sort of happy this is happening. Because the players that have decided, the coach really doesn't matter. Remember Kyrie and KD, when they signed with the Nets, they said, ah, we don't really need a coach. You know, we, one day KD's the coach, one day I'm the coach, Kyrie, one day Steve Nash will coach, whatever. The guys like LeBron that think they can be the GM and pick all the players and it doesn't matter. Those guys are out of the playoffs, and you know who's in the playoffs right now? Think about the teams that are in. Kind of the old school traditional teams. 
built through the draft. Young players, guys that like where they are, guys that appreciate the opportunity. Think about Giannis, the Milwaukee Bucks, the defending champs. Yeah, they traded for Chris Middleton, but that was during a rebuild. He was a piece in, that came back to get rid of a high-profile player. Most of this Bucks team is homegrown. Now, they added Drew Holiday late last year, but other than him, this core has been together. The Phoenix Suns, yeah, they added Chris Paul late, but they drafted Devin Booker. They drafted DeAndre Ayton. They drafted Mikael Bridges. They drafted Cam Johnson. They love playing for Monty Williams. They know how important Monty Williams is to their success. Same with the Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis obviously playing Minnesota in round one. Memphis's John Morant, Jaron Jackson, a lot of guys that have come up together and obviously we'll see what, what they do against Minnesota. Same with Minnesota, by the way. I love Minnesota. They're awesome. Carl Anthony Towns, first overall pick. Uh, Anthony Edwards, first overall pick. Jaden McDaniels, Jared Vanderbilt, all these guys, they were drafted by this organization. And so we're going back to this era where it feels as though these players like getting drafted by a team and want to stay with the team, and that's why I think that's good for the NBA. I think it's good for the NBA that Giannis has made it clear, hey, as long as you're putting a competitive team around me, I want to stay in Milwaukee. John Morant seems to love Memphis. Devin Booker seems to love Phoenix. Because to me, that is how you build fans and maintain fans. It's not when you leave every six months for another spot. And I know that's being hype, you know, metaphorical there. But it's not leaving every two or three years when things don't go well. It's sticking through. It's having success. It's having failure. It's coming up together. Think about the Milwaukee Bucks. How fun was that story, especially for people in Milwaukee? Two years in a row, they were the number one seed. Got bounced. Giannis didn't quit. Giannis didn't demand a trade. I remember being on air the day that the Milwaukee Bucks lost to the Miami Heat in the bubble. And the first thing is, well, Giannis needs to demand a trade. Why does Giannis need to demand a trade? Giannis needs to suck it up. He was part of the problem at that point. And what did Giannis do? He sucked it up and he got better and he won a championship last year. And it's the same in Phoenix and it's the same in Memphis and it's the same with Boston. First team to advance to the second round. Jason Tatum homegrown, Jalen Brown homegrown, Robert Williams drafted by the team, Grant Williams drafted by the team, Marcus Smart drafted by the team. That's a great, well-run organization. They deserve to reap the benefits of it. So I don't mean to belabor the point, but I do think this is good for the NBA, and I think deep down inside, whether the NBA will admit it or not, I think they're happy. I think they're happy that these teams that are kind of doing it traditionally are good. Now, it's not good for the NBA to have the Lakers out. It's not good to have LeBron and Kevin Durant out, but I do think it's probably good for the league for players to see, you know what, I can be drafted by this organization, I can have success with this organization, I can stay with this organization. Really quick, one last thought on the NBA. Um, I, I will say, I watched that Nets series very closely, you know, and, and part of it's because I love Kevin Durant. Like, like, I love good basketball. And I'll say this really quick, and I, I promise, by the way, we're not doing a ton of NBA on this show, okay? I'm not coming on, you know, with Utah Jazz third quarter adjustment breakdowns. But when there's a big story, I got to talk about it. And I will say the Nets story is very compelling. And I just kind of want to wrap by saying, like, I feel bad for Kevin Durant. And I know part of this is his own fault. He was with Steph. He was with Clay. He was with Draymond. He was with Steve Kerr. They were killing it in Golden State. KD was there three years. They made three finals. They probably would have won three championships in a row if KD had stayed healthy. Instead, he got hurt against Toronto. But I bring it up because I like Kevin Durant. Because the one thing, I, you know, Kevin Durant, he does the burner accounts and he, he tweets too much and all that stuff. But the one thing about Kevin Durant that I never question, that dude loves basketball. Okay, so I feel bad for Kevin Durant because I know he loves basketball. You know how I know he loves basketball? The, the best example I can use, 
Guy tears his Achilles in 2019. Misses the entire 2020 season. Comes back last year, almost single-handedly leads the Nets to the Eastern Conference Finals. That was the series that James Harden was hurt, Kyrie was hurt, KD had like 48 points in back-to-back games or something like that. Then he goes to the Olympics. That was when I was like, okay, KD, you're my guy. This is a guy coming off major Achilles surgery on the other side of 30, should have taken the Olympics off, instead goes, wins a gold medal for Team USA. I'm like, that dude loves to hoop. So why I feel bad for him is because he has hitched his wagon to two of the least reliable, and I would argue, frankly, least likable players in the NBA. That's Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. And, you know, Kyrie, I'll say a couple things real quick. Kyrie, I'm just, I'm over him. Kyrie is all sizzle, no steak. It's great that you can put the ball between your legs 37 times, and it's great that you, Kyrie is one of the most gifted basketball players that I've ever seen. Kyrie Irving is also one of the most unreliable players I've ever seen. It's not just a COVID thing, but I put out this tweet. It kind of blew people's mind. First of all, he's never healthy. He's never available. I'm looking at his career stats. He hasn't played more than 70 games since 2017, since he left the Cleveland Cavaliers. On top of that, if you go through his playoff history, Once he left the Cleveland Cavaliers, it's pretty, pretty, pretty bad. I tweeted this out. I think some people were shocked by it. But this is Kyrie Irving's playoff history since he left Cleveland. 2018, his team made the Eastern Conference Finals, but he was hurt. He didn't play. Team was better without him. 2019, he lost in the second round to Milwaukee. That was his final year in Boston. 2020, he was hurt. Team lost in round one. 2021, hurt. His team lost in round two. 2022, his team got swept this week. So I feel bad for KD because it's clear that Kyrie just, I don't know how to put it. Like, I don't know how to put it delicately. He's just aloof. Some days he wants, you know, the, the COVID stuff, I, I joke, but if you remember, uh, he showed up on a Zoom with Cynthia Nixon, the woman from Sex in the City. They were doing a Zoom about a school board meeting or something like that. He missed a game to do a Zoom. So you have Kyrie. I don't know if Kyrie loves basketball. And you know who I know doesn't love basketball is Ben Simmons. And I'm not going to do the whole Ben Simmons thing. I've talked about him enough. You know how I feel if you follow me on Twitter. Nobody takes mental health more seriously than I do. My wife works in the mental health space. At the same time, you can't do what Ben Simmons did. Demands a trade. Doesn't respond. Doesn't show up. Finally, he gets docked pay. Then he shows up. Then he says his back hurts. Then he's cleared by the doctors. Then it's mental health. Then he gets to, he gets traded from Philly to Brooklyn, and it's the same thing. Can't play, can't play, can't play, can't play, can't play finally supposed to play game four says he can't play and even his own teammates were mad meanwhile he's showing up on the sidelines he's showing up in these weird outfits I heard Stephen A. Smith call him Mr. Zoolander as in Derek Zoolander because he looked like Derek Zoolander so anyway I don't mean to belabor the point but you just talk about kind of a fascinating deal going on in the NBA right now I feel bad for KD because I, I just I don't think he knows what's going on I don't think he knows what to do And I think he's really backed himself into a corner with this team. But I will say this. I really do think it was good for the NBA to see Brooklyn struggling, to see the Lakers struggling, to see teams like Milwaukee, you know, Phoenix, obviously the Devin Booker thing is a thing. But it's good to see teams like that do well. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. Speaking of the NBA, Jay Wright. Jay Wright going to be coaching in the NBA soon? Not as crazy as you might think. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, 
It's time to welcome back our favorite sponsor and your ladies' favorite sponsor. Yeah, I'm talking about Manscaped, the worldwide leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. Fellas, have you started your spring cleaning yet? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The carpets need cleaning, the drapes need dusting, and your lawn needs mowing. Again, fellas, don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. And Manscaped has the best tools to get that lawn cleaned up. Time to clear out your winter bush and join the 4 million other men Worldwide, who trusts Manscaped by going to manscaped.com. Use promo code Torres for 20% off plus free shipping. And as I always say, ladies, that 20% off plus free shipping, if you use the promo code Torres, well, I'll tell you what, that works for you too. Manscaped has the full package you need for spring cleaning this year, the Performance Package 4.0. It's the only tool set you need to keep your boys looking and smelling fresh like daisies this spring. The Performance Package 4.0 includes the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, designed to get those tough-to-reach places, plus it's waterproofed, equipped with an LED light. You can bring it in the shower. You don't leave hair on the floor. Fellas, trust me, you're going to need that Lawnmower 4.0, which is part of the Performance Package 4.0. Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer, proprietary skin-safe technology, all those little holes. They got You got to keep them clean, safe, no nicks, no cuts, the Weed Whacker. Nose and ear hair trimmer. Crop preserver and crop crop preserver and crop reviver, ball deodorant and toner. That's also part of the the performance package 4.0. Fellas, you'll never look better. You'll never smell better down there. And ladies, you'll never be happier. Finish off your grooming routine with the Plow 2.0. This is a razor for your face because let's be honest, there is nothing more disgusting than using a razor on your face that you've been using in other parts of your body. And I will say this on one very serious note. Remember, April is also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to men's health and early cancer detection. Very serious topic. Manscaped takes it very seriously, and Manscaped wants you to know uh, they are doing everything they can to work with the Testicular Cancer Society uh, to eradicate testicular cancer. So, fellas, remember, if you want to look fresh downstairs, if you want to smell fresh downstairs, if you want to be fresh downstairs, manscaped.com. Use promo code Torres. Fellas, ladies, manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Your balls will thank you. I will thank you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, manscapemanscape.com. Make sure you're using promo code Torres, 20% off plus free shipping manscaped.com we always appreciate our good partners at manscaped by the way i know you can't see this this uh audio that i'm i'm doing right now i'm wearing a manscaped shirt though they're a great partner of the Aaron Torres sports podcast so we appreciate their support again manscaped.com promo code tours 20 percent off plus free shipping with that said we obviously did just talk a little bit about the nba and i do want to hit on another topic that is sort of NBA-related, but not totally NBA-related, but I'd remi- be remiss if I did not talk about it. And that, are, that is some interesting comments that our old buddy Jay Wright said on, on uh, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday morning, actually, to be exact. And unless you've been living under a rock, Jay Wright, former Villanova head coach, it was exactly one week ago as you guys listened to this on Wednesday, guys and girls listened to this on Wednesday, that Jay Wright, out of nowhere, said, you know what? I'm stepping aside. I am no longer the Villanova head coach. It was shocking, at least to me, and I cover this sport. As I said, I was out to dinner with my family. My stepdad's like, hey, uh, I think Jay Wright just retired. I said, no, he didn't. What are you talking about? And then sure enough, Jay Wright did. 
And as soon as Jay Wright retired, I think there was a couple things that logically kind of came into everybody's head. Is there something health-wise that's wrong? Thankfully, no. Is there some kind of scandal? Thankfully, no. But then on top of that, Jay Wright's only 60 years old, and I think the immediate question became, well, this can't be it forever, right? Could he someday return to college? What happens if something goes bad at Villanova? And maybe most realistically for a guy that has been linked to NBA jobs for at least probably 8, 9, 10 years now, could he ever coach in the NBA? Well, on Tuesday, we got our first sort of speculation that it could at least be a possibility. I'm not saying here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast on April 27, 2022 that it will happen. But Jay Wright was asked directly about it, and he certainly left the door open. Here is what he said. Uh, appears as though Tuesday, Jay Wright did a little bit of a media tour. He was on Jim Rome. He was also on Jay Will, Max, and Keyshawn. Or Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max, I guess is the technical name of the show, ESPN's morning show. And he was asked about the possibility of coaching in the NBA. Here's what he said. Not right now. That was something I always thought about. My experience with the Olympics kind of scratched that itch. Remember, he was an assistant last summer with Greg Popovich at the 2020 Olympics. Back to Jay Wright. I kind of feel like I did it a little bit, and I loved coaching those guys. Right now, I definitely need a break. Right now, I'm looking forward to this special assistant position at Villanova. Remember, he's a consultant for the athletic department now. But honestly, down the road, I'd be lying. I don't know what I'm going to feel like. I know I made the right decision. Because I don't think going into next year, I'd be able to do the things I need to do to keep this program at a high level. But I'm going to take this year and really throw myself into this position at Villanova and then see what's out there. I just didn't want to coach at Villanova and not be 100% in. Hmm. Okay, so on the one hand, there's a lot to peel back here. And on the one hand, I need to be fair to Jay right here because, first of all, this is the non-denial denial that every coach gives when asked a question like this, right? I think it truly goes back to the Nick Saban, Miami Dolphins, Alabama deal back in 2006. We all know what I'm talking about. Nick Saban asked, will you be the next head coach at Alabama? He says, I will not be the next head coach at Alabama. Then they kept offering more money, more money, more money. They got his wife, Miss Terry, on board. Next thing you know, he's out of Miami on a jet to Tuscaloosa, and the college football world has never been the same since. So ever since then, it feels like all of these coaches give answers like this of, I'm not really into it right now, but you never say never. It's also worth noting, to be completely fair to Jay Wright, um, that like when he retired, really credible reporters said, the NBA is not on the front burner right now. Adrian Wojnarowski, who covers the NBA, he's been covering it forever, the number one newsbreaker in the NBA, said he ain't coming to the NBA right now. A lot of college writers who know Jay Wright better than I do. I think I know the college game well, but I don't claim to know Jay Wright well. Had him on the podcast once, talked to him a few times, but don't claim to know him well. Said, no, 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 no. this is not about him rushing off to the NBA. At the same time, Jay Wright didn't deny it. And let me tell you this. I actually think it's at least more likely than people are probably giving it credit for. Maybe it's not 100%. As I said, I'm not coming here on the, the, the episode on April 27, 2022 and saying it is 100% certain that Jay Wright is coming back. But I do think it's at least possible, and it's for a few reasons. First of all, if you just go back to last week, when Jay Wright officially announced his retirement, it kind of ties into what he said. What did he say? My experience with the Olympics kind of scratched that itch of coaching NBA players. It's worth noting that if you go back 
to the retirement announcement, I think that Olympics experience, while not directly impacting his retirement, sort of impacted his retirement, and let me explain why. If you go back to the day that he retired and the press conference that followed on that Friday, Jay Wright never once said, I'm tired of coaching. I hate coaching college basketball. I don't want to deal with NIL. I don't want to deal with the transfer portal. Jay Wright repeatedly used the word burnout. Jay Wright repeatedly said that he could not give 100% to Villanova. And there's a very good reason why. There's a very good reason why he was burned out. It was because he had a really long last 18 months for a 60-year-old. Never forget the 2020-2021 college basketball season, so not this past one, but the one before. It was as challenging for anyone in college basketball as any in recent history. And I'm not trying to make it about the, you know, feel bad for the coaches, feel bad for the players. But remember what 2020-21 was like. Every single day you're getting tested. You got guys being pulled out of practice. You have, you're showing up to practice every day. You don't know who's going to be available, what assistants are going to be available. If you're going to be available, then you get on the road and this guy tests positive and you're warming up and that guy tests positive. Then you're warming up and they have to cancel a game. I mean, just think back to that 2020-2021 season. A lot of stuff happened. That was a stressful season for everybody. I've said it on this show many times. Remember, that was the year Gonzaga played Baylor in the national championship game. I knew people at Baylor. I knew people at Gonzaga. It wasn't any easier for them. They just got through it because they had really talented players that were able to manage it better than other players, other places. So you're coming off one of the most stressful seasons ever. And then, as he said, he went straight into the Olympics. And it wasn't a normal Olympics. You don't get to go and hang out in the Olympic Village, although I don't know if coaches stay in the Olympic Village, but go to the Olympic Village and you know, walk in the opening ceremony and wave the flag and do all that good stuff. No, Jay Wright talked about it on this podcast. He went to Tokyo, and he was basically under quarantine the entire time that he was there. So you go from the most stressful season in college basketball history to an Olympic experience where, yes, you win gold. Yes, it's obviously an incredibly fulfilling thing for all these guys, but they were also completely under quarantine. I don't know if he said it specifically on this podcast, but I've heard him talk about it. When he wasn't in the gym at practice or in the gym at a game, from basically early J- July to late August, he was in a hotel room, quarantined, by himself. That's really stressful. And then when he came back to the United States, you know what happened? Got voted to the Hall of Fame. That's a great thing. You don't want to dismiss that as a bad thing, but it's a great thing, but it's stressful. And then he immediately go into this season. So, of course, he's burned out. Guy's 60 years old. That would burn me out. I'm in my 30s. So you have that element of it, and that is part of why I think you have to at least think that Jay Wright is going to, because I don't think he's done coaching. I think he was just burned out. That's also, by the way, why Villanova tried hard. You read the reports, they tried for a month to convince him to talk him out of it. You read the reports, he, not even the reports, he said it at his press conference. He told his AD before the Big East tournament, which means that he coached the Big East tournament, the NCAA tournament going to a Final Four, knowing that he wasn't coming back. But that is why I believe that Villanova tried so hard to talk him out of retiring, not just because he's only 60 years old, not just because he's a great head coach, but because he's coming off the probably the most stressful 18 months of his entire coaching career when you go back to 2020, 2021, and then, of course, the Olympics straight into this season. In a lot of ways, you know what it reminds me of? So I just finished the Ian O'Connor book on Coach K, and it's the book that made its rounds, its headlines. It was a very big, you know, it was a book that got a lot of publicity. And one of the most interesting excerpts to me from that entire book was the 1994-95 season. That's the season that Coach K famously stepped away to have back surgery. 
and everybody makes fun of Coach K and what did he really have back surgery? Did he just know his team was bad? Whatever. You read that book. Coach K was going through some stuff, physically ill, probably mentally ill. Um, you know, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but but at a time when we didn't talk about mental illness, he was just drained. He was just wiped out. They talked about how much weight he lost. They talked about how he physically couldn't move, how he needed back surgery, how once he got back surgery, he wasn't leaving the house for weeks at a time. The mental exhaustion that had come off back-to-back national championships in 90, 91 and 92, then 93, then 94, you get back to a Final Four. And so 95, he was completely burned out because he was the biggest brand in college basketball 25 years ago, or almost 30 years ago now in 1994, he's completely burned out. And if you read the book, he wanted to step away, and Duke talked him out of it. They said, take your time, step away, get out of here, go back to the house, get healthy, and come back next season if you're ready. And he was ready to step away because he didn't think he could do the job, and he didn't think it was fair to his team. And so this whole Jay Wright situation, it's history repeating itself. It reminds me of this. I think Jay Wright's probably too prideful to just say, you know what, I'm going to take a one-year sabbatical or I'm going to take the summer off from recruiting because if he takes the summer off from recruiting, then recruits are wondering, what's wrong? Why isn't he here? What does it mean? Is something going on? Is he not going to be my head coach? So Jay Wright just decided to step aside more because of burnout than because I actually believe he's done coaching, which brings me to the second part. The guy is only 60 years old. And so to me, this idea that at 60 years old, he's just done forever. I don't buy it. First of all, you know, he's not only is he 60 years old, he's a young, healthy, spry 60 years old. He's 60. He looks like he's 49. He's in great physical shape. He's obviously in great mental shape. He's at the peak of his powers. And oh, by the way, 60 is young. Keep in mind, he said this on my podcast when I had him on before the Hall of Fame. His dad at the time was talking about how excited he was. He, he talked on the show about how excited his dad was to come with him to the Hall of Fame. His dad's 87 years old. So I bring it up because Jay Wright's got probably another 30 years. He's not going to go sit at the beach for the next 30 years. Yeah, he might want to sit at the beach for this summer. He might want to sit at the beach for this winter. He might not want to be in the day-to-day grind of coaching college basketball, which is, as we've discussed a million times, is a 365-day-a-year endeavor now with the transfer portal, with NIL, whatever. But at the same time, he's 60 years old. He's in the peak. You know, this isn't Roy Williams retiring at 73, 74. This isn't Coach K retiring at 75. Jay Wright had a solid 15 years left. I would say at least seven to eight at the absolute height of his powers before he stepped away. And so why I don't think he's done is because history tells us that all these guys, none of them step away completely from coaching. Look, listen, you know, you go, first of all, how many guys, period, in college basketball have stepped away at 60 and stayed away at 60? Jim Beheim, 75, he's still going strong. Coach K into his 70s. Roy Williams into his 70s. Jim Calhoun retired because of physical ailments. Then he came back in his late 60s, early 70s because he missed coaching. But Jay Wright's going to just step aside at 60 and never come back. I don't see it. You go to football. Urban, Urban Meyer retired 54 years old at Ohio State. Oh, I'm, I'm done. Can't ever see myself coaching again. Never going to the NFL. I could never handle the losing of the NFL. He said that at his final press conference. What was it, three years later, 57 years old, he's back in the NFL, and it wouldn't surprise me if Urban Meyer coached college football again. I don't think I, I, don't think I would bet on it just because of everything that's happened, but I think it's possible. Bob Stoops stepped aside 56 years old, 55 years old, something like that. He never came back to college. He's never come back to the NFL. 
But he coached in the XFL two years ago. He came back as a head coach two years ago. And so the idea that Jay Wright at 60 years old for the next 30 years is just going to hang out at the beach, I don't buy it. And I don't buy it because if you pay especially close attention to those comments, there's a couple things that stand out to me. Listen to this closely again. Right now, I'm looking forward to this special assistant position at Villanova. But honestly, down the road, I'd be lying. I don't know what I'm going to feel like. He continued. I know I made the right decision because I don't think going into this year, I'd have been able to do the things I need to keep the program at at a high level. Again, I'm sure the school wanted him to just take six months, take a sabbatical, come back in January, come back in 23, 24. But that was never going to happen. But listen to this part. This is the part that's interesting to me. But I'm going to take this year and really throw myself into this position at Villanova and then see what's out there. I'm going to take this year and really throw myself into this position at Villanova and then see what's out there. Do you really think Jay Wright's just going to sit around and be a fundraiser for Villanova for the next 15 years? There's only so many booster dinners and handshakes and glasses of wine that you could drink before that guy's going to want to get back in the gym. So if you're asking me, do I think he's definitively going to, first of all, I I think it's more likely he comes back to the NBA than college at this point. I know because, trust me, every time Kentucky loses a game, if John Shire starts three and four next year, Duke fans are going to want Jay Wright, uh, Kentucky fans are going to want Jay Wright, whatever. I don't think he would come back back to college unless Villanova completely fell apart and then maybe he comes back if Villan- in two, three, four years if Villanova completely falls apart. I don't think he's going to Kentucky or Duke or Carolina or UCLA to start that thing from scratch if something bad happens. So I do think if he ever comes back, it'll be in the NBA. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's definitive. But I do think he would come back in the right circumstance. I do think he would scratch that itch because why not? One, he's only 60 years old. But two, think about all these other guys. John Beeline went to the NBA because he wanted to see what it was like. He wanted to see if he could, he could handle it. Didn't work out for him, but he wanted to see, and now he knows, and now he's doing whatever he's doing. And I look at Jay Wright, and you know who his situation actually reminds me of? And it's not a perfect apples-to-apples situation. Kind of reminds me of Billy Donovan. Remember, Billy Donovan, for years, it was, well, he, would, eh, he might go under the perfect situation. If you remember, he committed to go to Orlando, but then he decided to come back to Florida. And then about four or five years later, Oklahoma City called and said, hey, come coach Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Kevin Durant, popular name on today's show, by the way. Come coach Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Let's do this. And he was like, okay, cool. And he got on a plane and he looked, he left and he never looked back. That's what I could see Jay Wright doing. I don't think he's going to rush into the NBA. I have Lakers fans asking me, do, do you think he could coach the Lakers next year? I don't think he has any interest in coming to this grease fire in LA. I don't think he has any interest in the grease fire in Brooklyn if Steve Nash is not retained. But could I see the scenario where maybe not this season, but after a year away, after two years away, the right situation comes around. The right situation where you have stars, but maybe, you know, the coach can still co- Yeah, I could see it. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I, I think this idea that we should completely dismiss it is insane either. If I'm putting it on the record right now, since I just said I'm not saying on April 27th that it's 100%, I'm going to say 40-60. I'm going to say 40-60 that at some point Jay Wright comes back to coach in the NBA at some point. Because I just, he's 60 years old. What are you going to do? 60 is the new 40. Like 60 is young. He easily could have gone another 10 years. It wouldn't surprise me if in the perfect situation, he came back and tried to coach at the NBA level. Give it a try for four or five years. See if you can make it happen. See if with the right situation, with the right players. Listen, he's not coming back to coach Sacramento Kings. He's not coming back to coach uh, the Orlando Magic. 
But could I see a scenario where, you know, just trying to think off the top of my head, uh, you know, the Boston Celtics, Ime Adoka doesn't work out and you can get Jason Tatum in, your pri- in his prime? I could see that. You know, Giannis in his prime, Luka in his prime. I could see something like that. I don't think it's going to happen, but I wouldn't put it at 0% either. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. I do want to wrap the show. It's time to do a little portal update. Portal combat, baby! That's right. Let's talk about some portal stuff. I'll be right back to discuss it. As I just said, I'll be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Good to be back. And I do want to wrap... Uh, We've done three or four of these Transfer Portal news and notes segments over the last couple weeks, and really over the course of the entire month of April, I think even into late March, we started doing them. But I bring it up because what I want to do today is I actually want to hit on some of the early winners of the Transfer Portal cycle of the spring of 2022. And let me explain why, because we have a very important date coming up this coming Sunday. Now, last Sunday, if you remember, Monday show, we talked about it. But last Sunday, one thing that we did discuss was that Sunday was the deadline for players to declare for the NBA draft and be eligible to enter the NBA draft, right? So you can declare, test, and come back to college, but to even be considered for the NBA, you had to have your name in this past Monday. Well, this coming Monday, May 1st, is another important date. It is the date that you have to have your name in the transfer portal if you want to transfer and be eligible to play next season. So that's a really important date. That is a very important date because to be eligible next season, you have to have your name in by next week, May. And so because May 1st is that date, it's starting to feel like we're we're starting to inch towards the finish line of transfer season. I'd say we're more than halfway there in terms of the activity, commitments, all that stuff. Now, to be clear, There's still some teams that need a piece or two. I think Kentucky's looking for a piece. I think Gonzaga's looking for a piece. I think Alabama is looking for a piece. I know Alabama's looking for a piece. I think um, Kansas is looking for a piece. So it's not to say that we're done, but I'd say we're more than about the 50% point of the way there. There's still plenty of good players available, by the way. Janae Broom, Moorhead State, Grant Sherfield, Nevada, whatever. Tyrese Hunter, Iowa State. But I do think now that we're past the halfway point, I think it's totally fair to start naming the winners of the early part of this transfer portal then we'll do an official winners of the portal when all this stuff is done you know mid to late may into june when rosters are officially set but today feels like a good day we are going to hit on the early winners of the transfer portal i have five these are in no particular order one didn't necessarily do better than three three didn't do better than five but here are the five teams that have stood out to me so far number one and this is a little bit of a surprising one The Providence College Friars. And let me say this, first of all. I think Ed Cooley doesn't get enough credit for how good of a coach that that guy actually is, okay? Because Providence, I think that we think of as this great job. They've always been in the Big East. They've been good forever. You want to hear some crazy stats on Providence College? They're not nearly as good historically as most people think. Ed Cooley has taken them to a million NCAA tournaments, okay? So, like, that's a little bit of hyperbole. But Ed Cooley... Since he's gotten to Providence, he took them to the NCAA tournament in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. That's five straight years. 
Then one NCAA tournament was canceled, and he took them in 2022. So six out of the last nine years, they have been to the NCAA tournament. You want to hear something crazy? Providence, before Ed Cooley had gotten there, had never been to three straight NCAA tournaments since the mid-1970s. So we're talking about 40 years between when Ed Cooley got there when Providence made three straight NCAA tournaments. Prior to this season, when they made the Sweet 16 and lost to the eventual champ, Kansas, Providence had not made a Sweet 16 since 1997. They've not made a Final Four since 19, 1987 when Rick Pitino was there. So it's not as easy of a job as people think, and he did an incredible job this year. And to his credit, he is taking advantage of the hype and the excitement around the program, and he has done great signing five players out of the transfer portal. Now, I don't think any of them are like superstar, change a program, take your program to the next level, but five really good players. Let me rip through them really quick. First off, Bryce Hopkins, the former forward. He played at Kentucky this year. Didn't play a ton, was stuck in the front court behind a bunch of guys, Jacob Toppin, Keon Brooks, Oscar Shibway. But when he was forced into action, he had his moments. Every Kentucky fan, they'll tell you until the end of time about that 13-point performance against LSU. That was the one where Kentucky fans said, we got to figure out a way to play this guy more. Well, he almost ended up at Providence coming out of high school, decided that once he hit the portal, he was going to end up at Providence. I think he's going to be a really nice piece for them. On top of that, Devin Carter, son of former NBA player Anthony Carter, played at South Carolina last year as a freshman, averaged nine points per game. Noah Locke, a veteran player who has played four years in college basketball, played his first three years at Florida under Mike White, and then played last year at Louisville. Louisville was a disaster, but in 2020 and 2021, Noah Locke averaged 11 points per game, more importantly shot over 40% from three, and at a place like Providence, that is very, very, very important. They also added a big guy named Clifton Moore who started his career at Indiana and then ended up at LaSalle. And finally, Corey Floyd Jr., player I talked about a little bit a few weeks ago, was at UConn, reclassified, redshirted this year, ends up committing to Providence. So in total, five guys are coming in, plus a couple really solid returnees. Uh, Jared Bynum is really good. Ed Croswell is really good. But what I like about this is, first of all, just credit Ed Cooley for taking advantage of your program's on fire right now. Everybody saw what you did. Everybody saw how crazy your fans are. Everybody saw how much that city loves Providence College basketball. He went into the portal, and he went and got his guys. What I also like about it, he got a mixture of guys that are older and are going to play right away. First of all, all five guys, it's worth noting, have high major experience. That, to me, is important. You're not guessing if this guy can play in the Big East when these guys came from the ACC or started their career in the Big Ten or played in the Big East or played in the SEC. You're not guessing if they're good enough to play in the Big East. You know they're good enough to play in the Big East. Two, what I really like is that it's a balance of guys that are going to step in and really have one year of eligibility, know a lock specifically, and have to contribute right away. And then you got guys that are probably going to be there two or three years. Bryce Hopkins, I believe in. He needs to get in better shape, but I believe in him. And that's not a knock. You know, he's even said it. Cal Perry said it, whatever. Um, but he's going to be there probably two, three years and be really good while he's there. Corey Floyd Jr., I know UConn fans are frustrated. He's going to be a good player at Providence. Anthony Carter, or, uh, excuse me, Devin Carter, Anthony Carter's son, he's going to be a good player. So you got three guys that just finished their freshman year that are going to be two, three, four-year players in your program. So credit Providence College. To me, they are the first winner in the portal. Number two, this is no surprise. It is Eric Musselman, the transfer portal whisperer, the transfer portal guru. Eric Musselman crushes the portal every year. And what I loved about Coach Muss was, was this. He, was, he knew what he needed, and he was very aggressive in going out and getting it. 
Well, some schools weren't even – I don't even think they knew they, – they knew that the portal was open. Coach Musk was closing in the portal like it was nobody's business. I looked it up. By the end of the first week of April, he had four commitments in the portal. The kid Trevon Brazil from Missouri really came on strong late in the season at Missouri. He was kind of a developmental player that really blew up. 15 points in the SEC tournament against LSU. Um, you know, 8-10 and 10 against Georgia in the regular season finale. So you look at what this kid did. He was playing really, really, really well late, and I know that staff really thinks very highly of that kid. On top of that, you go out and get Jalen Graham, all Pac-12 forward, another player that was absolutely playing great basketball down the stretch at Arizona State. Arizona State got really hot late in the year, and it was a direct reflection of when Jalen Graham started playing really well. Again, I know I went through the stats when he committed, but this was a guy against the USC team, one of the best defensive teams in college basketball, 19 points, 5 rebounds. Against UCLA team that made the Sweet 16, 16 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 14 points and 8 rebounds against Washington, 14 points and 4 rebounds against Washington State, 18 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists against Oregon. So kid, he's, listen, he's not a great 3-point shooter, but he does everything else well. 6 foot 9, big, uh, you know, offensive uh, glass guy. I think he's going to be really good at Arkansas. And then finally, I've talked about these guys a few times, the Twins, Makai and Mikel Mitchell. And to me, that's just a solid addition because, again, I talk about it all the time. But the one thing Arkansas was lacking this year was real size and rim protection in the paint, like real size. And it got exposed a little bit against Mark Williams, Duke, in the NCAA tournament Elite Eight. By the way, Duke did that to a lot of people. That's not a criticism of Arkansas. But at the same time, Coach Muss. I guarantee you sitting there saying that's never going to happen to me again. Goes out and gets two 6'10 players from Rhode Island. They started their careers at Maryland, so they're another one. You're not going to have to guess how they handle the SEC, but you're also never going to go into a game like you did against Duke and just not have an answer down low. One is really good on offense. One is really good on defense, but they can both be elite rim protectors when need be. So you look at what Arkansas did. And the final thing I'll say about the Arkansas guys, I love how they complement the guys that are going to be in the program already. I've talked about it a ton. But those three McDonald's All-Americans at Arkansas, big guard Anthony Black, wing Nick Smith, wing Jordan Walsh, what you need is size and athleticism down low. Jalen Graham, Trevon Brazil, and the two Mitchell twins absolutely bring that. And by the way, there are three other top 100 players committed to Arkansas, so it's not just those three, but I just kind of bring them up as a metaphor for how good that freshman class is. Also, Devo Davis returning. We'll see what happens on Jalen Williams up and down on that. Arkansas, my second winner in the portal. Number three, my UConn Huskies. And, and I think I talked about UConn a few weeks ago, but what I would say about UConn is, you know, I think what's interesting about them, they show kind of the two-way nature of the transfer portal. What do I mean by the two-way nature? What I mean is this is now the era where everybody is going to lose guys in the portal. Like, like I think, you know, Jeff Goodman might have put it out. I think there's maybe 12 teams. I mean, 12, 15, 18 teams out of 350 in Division One that have yet to lose a transfer. So in other words, you're just going to lose guys. This is the world that we live in. But what you want to hope for is lose guys at the back end of your bench that are not contributing and have no projection to contribute and you replace them with players that can contribute. And so that's exactly what happened at UConn, and that's why I think if you're a UConn fan, you have to be happy with what Dan Hurley has done in the portal. First off, in terms of the players you lost, two backup point guards, neither looked ready to take the reins next year. Jalen Gaffney, Rashul Diggins, who's committed to, to UMass. 
You also lose Corey Floyd, who I just mentioned is going to Providence, and then a cook, a cook who's on a couple visits, but a, a big guy who's been injured, kind of a stretch four player who hasn't been at 100%. Who'd you replace them with? Two guards that are ready to play right away. Tristan Newton, guard from East Carolina. This past season at East Carolina was phenomenal. 18 points, four and a half rebounds, five assists per game. 33% three-point shooter. I've even seen Dan Hurley say that the, the percentage doesn't reflect that this guy shoots the ball better than the percentage says he, better than you would think he would based on the percentage. And then you went out and got Nakeem Aline from Virginia Tech who shot 38% from three, helping Virginia Tech to the NCAA tournament this year as the ACC tournament champ. And so you lose three guards that we don't really know if they were ready to contribute. You bring in a point guard that Dan Hurley has said he believes he's an NBA player. He's about six foot five, big, long, super athletic. And then you add another shooter. Dan Hurley has said he wants to play more of a four-out spacing type offense. Well, he just added two pieces that absolutely allow them to do that. Right now, UConn, I think, only has about eight scholarship players officially, so I don't think they're done in the portal. And by the way, I don't know if Arkansas is done in the portal either. They might want to add a guy depending on who the guy is. But I just bring it up to say, when you talk about teams that I believe have won the portal so far, UConn is number three because, to me, they went out and got guys that fit roles, um, and they lost. You know, the guys they lost, I don't think are going to have a huge impact. Number four is Baylor. Okay, Baylor's a little bit off the radar. Baylor's lost a few guys to the NBA. Actually, a lot of guys to the NBA. James Akinjo, their point guard, Jeremy Sohan, and Kendall Brown, two wings that I think will be taken probably in the top 20 to 25 I think Jeremy Sohan will go in the top 15, maybe top 10. So they needed help on the wing, and I love what Baylor did. They went out and got a guy that I think is going to kill it there in a kid named Jalen Bridges who played this past year at West Virginia. And Jalen Bridges is another one. If you just look at the stats, it wouldn't seem as though Jalen Bridges is a guy that would have immediate success uh, that's going to step in and be a star for Baylor. He only averaged eight and a half points, four and a half rebounds per game. But what I would say about that is that he is a guy that I think was misused at West Virginia. This is not a criticism about Bob Huggins. He's a Hall of Famer. But Jalen Bridges is just kind of one of these NBA size length wings that I just think should have never been at West Virginia. We know how West Virginia plays. Defense, banging down low, physical, toughness. This guy's more, I don't want to say he's finesse because that makes him sound soft and I'm not saying he's soft. But he's just an athletic wing that's going to play best in space and I think could play in the NBA someday. And so now you go to a program in Baylor who's about to put two guys that are exactly like you in the NBA, and I just think it's a much better fit for him and his skill set. And by the way, you know how I know that I'm right on this? Because I tweeted it out. And you know who retweeted me? Scott Drew, the head coach at Baylor. So Scott Drew was paying attention. Scott Drew believes what I do that this kid is going to be a better fit at Baylor than he was at West Virginia. And also, Jalen Bridges himself liked the tweet. I should also mention, by the way, you know who else liked that tweet? Jalen Bridges himself. So obviously, Baylor is very excited to have him. Baylor, by the way, also picked up a kid named Caleb Lohner from uh, Lerner. Lohner, I don't know how you say his last name. I'll be perfectly... It's not that I don't know how to say the last name. I just want to make sure it's right. Caleb Lohner, I believe is how you say his name, played the last few years at BYU. He's another one. He's more of a physical low post guy, but I think he's going to thrive in the more wide open Baylor system 
Really like Caleb Lohner over there. Averaged 7-7 seven and seven at BYU this past season. Finally, number five. Number five, number five, number five. Who could number five be? Oh, I don't know. How about those Miami Hurricanes? Let's throw up the U, baby, because the U had some big news over the course of the last four or five days. A story that I almost touched on but didn't because Monday's show was so busy. Did you see what happened at Miami on Saturday? So first of all, Miami added Nigel Pack, who I think pretty much universally is a top five player in the portal. Like some of these guys in the portal are overrated, and I think Nigel Pack plays a very specific role. But this is a guy that in the Big 12, at Kansas State last year, averaged 17 points and 44% three-point shooting. I was told on Friday by several people that I know that he was a done deal to, to Purdue. He's from Indianapolis. Originally, he's going to Purdue. Commits to Miami. Did you see this story? A Miami attorney by the name of John Ruiz had, had something to say about Nigel Pack's commitment on Saturday afternoon. Here is what was said by this Miami attorney. Breaking news. Life Wallet, which is a company that this guy owns, is proud to announce that Nigel Pack has officially committed to Miami as a basketball player. The biggest Life Wallet deal to date, two years, 800000 total at 400000 per year, plus a car. Congratulations! So this was the first time that I know of that we ever got NIL, a, an NIL deal on a public forum. The first time that I've ever seen any booster or anyone, a player, a booster, a coach, a school, put out terms of an NIL deal. So Miami is paying $400,000 for a good college basketball player. So I didn't touch this story because I don't know how to react to it. Part of it, it like, like on the one hand, we know guys are not getting paid. NIL is part of the deal. It's above board. It's legal. On the other hand, it was like, I don't know how I feel about just it just being out there. So I didn't really hit on it because I didn't really know how I felt. But Nigel Patton, hey, now we know what the going rate is for a really good player in the portal. It's apparently $400,000. Here's the funny part, though. On Tuesday, Miami got another really good player out of the transfer portal, a kid named Norchad O'Meer who was the Sunbelt Player of the Year at Arkansas State, averaged 18 points, 12.5 rebounds, 33% three-point shooting. We did not get the terms of that deal, though. John Ruiz did tweet out, but did not share terms. And I'm telling you, I think I know what happened there. I think there were a lot of people in Miami that were really upset that he put out those terms. Because first of all, when NIL went into place, there was really only two rules about NIL. It's like Fight Club. You can't talk about the Fight Club. It's like NIL. You can't talk about NIL. You can't use it as a recruiting inducement, and you can't use it as pay for play. Now, we all knew that's exactly what it was going to be, but I believe that probably somebody at Miami got in John Ruiz's ear and said, look, dude, we appreciate your financial support. We appreciate you landing these players. You can't be tweeting out all of the details of these contracts. Like, like you're going to get us in trouble because it's not supposed to be pay for play, and this makes it look like it's pay for play. My other initial thought was, you know who else was probably really mad about John Ruiz tweeting it out? The Miami basketball coaching staff and the Miami football coaching staff. And you know why? Because they probably had 13 sets of angry parents of players currently on the team saying, whoa, 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 you just gave 400K 
to a kid that's never played here and we just went to an Elite Eight? Oh, you better take care of my son. I guarantee that's what happened. I guarantee this John Ruiz guy got a call from somebody in the Miami basketball office like, dude, you can't just be putting out the terms. You can't just be putting out the terms. Because now every kid in our locker room wants 400000 Now we can never get a commitment without paying him above board. So shout out to John Ruiz, who paid $400,000 for Nigel Pack. I don't know what he paid for Norchad. I think, by the way, Norchad, I'm getting off subject here. Norchad's a really good player. Um, I, I think he's more at the power five level. Now, I've heard different things. Um, you know, I've seen some of these recruiting lists, these transfer portal lists that have him as like a top three player in the portal. I don't see that. Um, now, I think he's got like the length and measurables to play in the NBA. I don't think at the college level, though, he's going to have that impact. I know of two programs at the high major level that were interested in him, but kind of saw him as a bench player, a sixth man, a seventh guy. So I don't know if Miami sees him as like a fourth, uh, you know, fourth, fifth option on that team. But two really good players at Miami. Miami, how about the Miami Hurricanes? 400000 for a player out of the portal. So those are my five winners of the transfer portal so far. Providence, Arkansas, UConn, Baylor, Miami. It's all about the U, baby. And I, like I said, by the way, as more of this stuff comes down, we'll keep you updated. Uh, a couple other players have committed, by the way. Kendrick Davis committed to Memphis. Great get for Memphis. I just There's not enough around him right now for me to really be excited about Memphis. Um, you know, there, there's been some other kind of, you know, interesting pieces. Sean McNeil to Ohio State. But to me, those are the five winners so far. And again, we will continue to keep you updated on all this good stuff. With that said, I do think it is time for me to get out of here. What a fun show today. Ding dong, the witch is dead. How about that? Mark Emmert is officially out, baby. What is going on? What a day. What a day. All right, I got to get out of here. Before I get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Thank you guys and girls for listening. I'll be back Friday. As I mentioned, we'll have full reaction to uh, full reaction to the NFL draft opening round on Friday. So fun show coming on Friday. Before we get out of here, though, want to thank you guys and girls for listening. But it is time to go. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to that F-head JJ Reddick. I'll be back on Friday, baby. All new episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.